0: You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, but if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield a fresh water. God, we ask for your help in understanding your word. We pray that as you convict our hearts and you hold the mirror, of Your Word up to us. God, we pray that we would be receptive to the things that are disclosed to us, the things that are challenged and opened up to us. God, I pray that we would receive them with humility and that we would turn from our sin and put our trust in Jesus Christ and that uh, that trust in Him uh, would result in a transformation, that we really would not just feel sorry for our sins, but we would actually confess them, repent of them, and walk in a different direction in a way that you intend in the way that you have designed us to to live, particularly when it comes to our words. We ask for your help in uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I don't know how often you've thought about some of the nursery rhymes and stuff that we say to kids, but some of them are a little bit weird if you really think about them, right? So I, I got a few of them. The three blind mice, you know this one? Three blind mice, three blind mice. See how they run, see how they run. They all ran out the, after the farmer's wife who cut off their tails with a carving knife. Did you ever see such a sight in your life as three blind mice? <laughs> what? <laughs> Peter, Peter, pumpkin eater, had a wife and couldn't keep her. He put her in a pumpkin shell and there he kept her very well. Or... Rock-a-bye, baby, in a treetop. When the, bow bre- when the wind blows, the cradle will rock. When the bough breaks, the cradle will fall, and down will come, baby, cradle and all. Uh, that's weird. There was an old woman who lived in a shoe. She had so many children, she didn't know what to do. She gave them bo- some broth, and without any bread... Then whip them all soundly and put them to bed. <laughs> like, no wonder kids can be so terrified. But their... There's one that we say often, it's almost more of a proverb, but sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I think based on what we just read from James chapter 3, he would say something closer to sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can send to hell. Our words are not insignificant. They matter. And all of you know that. All of you have been on the receiving end of words or on the sending end of words that you really regret, uh, that really are painful, that really do hurt. Uh, And that's how God made it. God created the world with words. God gave human beings the ability to speak words. Humanity fell into temptation and sin and corruption because of deception by words. And so words are really, really powerful. And here in this book, James, the half-brother of Jesus, leader of the Jerusalem church, has been writing to struggling believers, believers struggling with poverty, with persecution, struggling with wrong conclusions and applications of the gospel. And here he comes to address their speech. James is very loving in this book. He says the word, my brothers, many times to show that this is a family thing, show his affection for them. But James is also a pretty demanding and direct disciplining and authoritative book where he comes right at us in the real parts of life. But he does so with love and compassion and a passion for God's glory. James does kind of a surgery on our heart, inspects the fruit of our profession, the works that come from our faith. And if you remember back in James chapter 1, he already has brought up the idea of the tongue before, and here's what he said, James 1, 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue... We're going to see that again, this bridling or taming of the tongue. He does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. His, this person's religion is worthless. So one can cancel out their profession by what they say and how careless they are with their words. If we just sort of let our mouths run wild, if we are not directing them appropriately, we can actually undermine and prove to not actually have genuine faith. <clears throat> so our mouths reveal the conditions of our heart. And in our passage today, James gives the longest speech in the whole New Testament about the tongue, about speech. This is the longest teaching in the New Testament. And James actually addresses the tongue and our speech in every single chapter of this book. So this is not a small thing to James. Our words have power. Our words mean something. They can be wielded for good and they can be wielded for evil. And as I was thinking through what James is writing in this, these 12 verses, I kind of struggled to figure out what his structure is, because he has some illustrations in there. He, has, he starts with this conclusion, you should not be teachers. And then he goes on and talks about some other things. It, it, the main point is kind of obvious that we should be careful with our words, but trying to understand what the structure is, until I kind of stepped back. And I really think there's sort of two main points to this. I think these will be on the screen. Verses 1 through the first half of verse 5, basically James is saying, the tongue is so hard to direct for good. And then in the second half of verse 5 through 12, he basically says, the tongue is so easy to destroy for evil. So you've got this powerful weapon of mass destruction behind your teeth. And it it is so hard to direct it for good, which is why not many of you should be teachers. This is a tough weapon to wield. This is a powerful instrument that's hard to control and to harness for good. And at the same time, it's so easy to let it just run wild and do such tremendous damage for evil. So that's really our two points today, and I think there's sort of a parallel in how he walks through this. So first, the tongue is so hard to direct for good, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, teachers are strictly judged. Teachers exercise influence over others. They explain the truths about things. You can think of teachers in school. You can think of parents with their children. You can think of anyone who is instructing someone else. And the student is prone to believe and be influenced and be directed by the teacher. And the teacher uses words to sort of shape the destiny and the understanding of the student. And that is a very, very weighty thing. And so he says, hey, not many of you should be teachers because just know that when you traffic in words, wherever there's many words, sin is not absent, is what Proverbs is saying. There's a strict judgment because you're directing the destinies, maybe even the eternal destinies of people. So think twice about being known for your words, right? What I'm doing right now is incredibly dangerous. And what I do every week is such a dangerous thing to handle God's word and to shape your thoughts and, and, and for you to be making decisions based on my presentation of the word this is just a heavy, heavy thing. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. John Piper says this, all genuine preaching is rooted in a feeling of desperation, You wake up on Sunday morning, and you can smell the smoke of hell on one side, and you can feel the crisp breeze of heaven on the other. You go to your study and look down at your pitiful manuscript, and you kneel down and cry, God, this is so weak. Who do I think I am? What audacity to think that in three hours, my words will be the odor of death to death and the fragrance of life to life. My God, who is sufficient for these things. This is what the teacher of God's word, the preacher, this is what parents think, right? As you're raising your kid and you go, oh man, there's so much at stake here. Now, in those times, there was a high regard for rabbis. Rabbis, the teachers, the masters. And there was, uh, it seems like maybe what James is addressing here is that there's an inclination to think that that's such an honored position that maybe everyone should aspire to be a teacher, that everyone should want to be that. So there seems to be in this church that maybe the tendency is actually, there's too many people that want to teach Sunday school. What a great problem that would be. There's too many people that want to speak God's word, and he's trying to slow them down a little bit. That this honored and privileged position of rabbi, of pastor, of teacher, you ought to be careful because there's a stricter judgment that comes to those whose lives are shaped by words. So, so teachers are drudged more strictly because the tongue is really hard to direct for good, and especially for the good of others. He then goes on to say in verse 2, what I think essentially is mastery requires perfection. To master this tongue really requires an incredible amount of, of, of perfection. He says this, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. So, He says, we all have sin struggles. We all have different things that we wrestle with. Each one of you, if we sat you down, and you talked about the things you struggle with, it would be different from person to person, except for one thing, how you use your words. He's saying, this is a sin struggle we all have. We all have struggles when it comes to how we use our words. Unique and varied sin struggles, but everyone has this struggle. Everybody has sinned with their words. Everyone in here is guilty of maybe saying something you shouldn't, or having kept silent when you should have spoken. And he says, really, for anyone to get this right, they would really have to be a mature man. That's really what the idea of perfection, the perfect man, is the one who's mature, who's mastered themselves. And the one who has been able to master the tongue actually has all the resources available. They probably are pretty disciplined and have mastered all other areas of your life because the tongue is so difficult to control. It's so hard to wield rightly that actually you probably have all other areas of your life in shape if you can tell, if you can keep your tongue in check. So if you see someone who's controlling their tongue, they're probably disciplined and mature in a lot of other areas as well. James has talked about this perfection back in chapter 1. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers. This is chapter James 1, 2, and 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So trials actually drive us into a corner and what comes out of our mouth, it's like, a, it's like trials sort of squeeze our heart and what's in our heart comes out our mouth, right? So there's something about trials that sort of reveal the heart, sort of pushes all of that stuff out, pushes through our facade and it comes out in our words, either through complaining or grumbling, accusations or slander or blame, right? Trials sort of squeeze the heart and then the mouth Vomits out essentially what's in the heart and so that's how we see these things going together And so the one who is spiritually mature is the one that when their heart is squeezed by trials when their life is squeezed by trials and Gracious things come out of their mouth Truthful things come out of their mouth kind things come out of their mouth the fruit of the spirit comes out of their mouth Well, then you have a really mature man you have a really mature person so trials sort of show us. They put us in the pressure cooker and shows us what we're made of, and then what comes out really shows what our spiritual maturity is. What's interesting about Jesus, because it, you know, it says here that um, uh, we all stumble in many ways. For anyone that does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Um, what's interesting about Jesus is that Jesus people were awful, often marveling at Jesus as he as he went about. What they were marveling about was not... Just the miracles, that certainly got their attention. But they marveled that he spoke. That, that's what's amazing. They marveled at how he spoke. Because if I think of this right here, they noticed that how Jesus wielded words was so different than the Pharisees, was so different than the teachers of the law, was so di- different than the people in power. In fact, in, Jane, in John 7:46, this was the comment. No one ever spoke like this man. Because he was the perfect man. And they were hearing perfect words from a perfect heart, and it got their attention. This is unlike anything. We've never heard Bible teaching like this. We have never heard compassion like this before. And so part of what set Jesus apart was how he spoke, and he spoke in such a way that people went, that's, that's a different kind of person. That's a, that's a perfect man. You can tell by how he uses his tongue. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, 28 and 29, the people were astonished At his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as one of their scribes. Part of what marked Jesus off was his use of words. He knew when to speak and what to speak, and he knew when to not to speak. He was perfect in his use of words, perfect in every way. He was a perfect man. And the people in themselves even noticed that. Even people that weren't even following him went, this man is of a different category and quality. Jesus never sinned, never got his words wrong, never got the tone wrong. Never got the timing wrong. He was perfect in all his words. And then we see two examples. He gives two illustrations of how the tongue is small but decisive. Consider the potential for good. Both of these illustrations are really positive ones. He's going to give us an illustration of something really negative, of how something small can do great damage. But here we see two things, two illustrations of how the tongue can be used for good. It's small, but it's decisive. It doesn't seem like it should be that powerful, but it wields a very powerful animal or machine a ship here's what it says verse 3 and 4 and 5 verse 3 through 5 if we put bits in the mouth of horses so that they obey us we guide their whole bodies as well look at the ships also though they are so large and are driven by strong winds they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs so also the tongue is a small member but it boasts of great things so words have inordinate power they seem small they see, the tongue seems small, words seem insignificant, you throw them out, they're gone, but they have tremendous power to turn things. Think of a big, powerful horse, right? And you can put a tiny little piece of metal in its mouth and you can direct that powerful animal to do incredibly productive things. You can take a ship that's being driven through a storm, it's being tossed, and, and the rudder can guide it in just the way through the storm, and just in that same way, words Words can be used to harness great power for great productivity, and it can guide through storms. Words, the tongue, can skillfully tame, control, and make productive something very large and powerful, like the bit in a horse or a nation. Remember the I have a dream speech, right? Sort of harnessing and giving direction to a movement. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, right? Words that galvanize something really powerful in a positive direction, like a horse, So, it's not just that this wild horse needs to be tamed to be stopped, right? It's not that the wildness just needs to be stopped. A bullet will do that. But that this power is harnessed for productivity. That's what a a bit and a bridle does. It's not just to stop the wildness of the tongue, but actually to take the tongue and wield it productively, is what we have with the horse. And then, in the midst of chaos and danger, the tongue can guide. the, The pilot can use the rudder to guide this big ship full of cargo and people through a tremendous storm, to skillfully navigate people through disasters and threats. You think of Abraham Lincoln after the Battle of Gettysburg, four score and seven years ago, guiding a nation through a traumatic event, right? Small little speech, just took a couple of minutes, and yet that speech goes down in history as guiding a nation through tremendous tragedy where things could go either direction. The tongue is incredibly powerful. you could get a ship through the storm by putting a hole in the boat and sinking it to the ground, but the idea is for it to preserve and to be used, right? So it's not just that we should all just be silent, that really godliness just means you never say anything. No, the kind of godliness here is the kind that knows how to wield words in such a way to make wild things productive, powerful things productive, and to guide people through tragedies and disasters and threats, This is a verse I thought a lot about when we were kind of going through COVID, and there was just all these sort of things like, how do we as a church make sure that we don't, we don't say things that would alienate each other unnecessarily? What would be? It it was so easy, and in the midst of pressure, to try to lash out or try to make statements about things that really would be divisive. When really, the tongue is designed—the small little member, these small little words—are meant to guide us through, to harness the power of a people for good and also to guide us through threats and dangers and storms in a way that's edifying and godly. So you see that in the first few verses. This conclusion that not many of you should be teachers, because harnessing the tongue, the tongue is so hard to use to direct for good. It's really hard to get that right. We see that modeled perfectly in Jesus. We see examples of other times in history when that has been successfully But we also see in verses 5 through 12 that the tongue is so easy to destroy for evil. It is so easy. It is so easy to say a word sarcastically, poorly timed, wrong tone, and absolutely destroy a relationship, destroy a life, destroy a family, destroy a reputation. And we see a a bit of a parallel here. That while the tongue was small and decisive when it's used for good, it's also is small but can be devastating when it's used for evil. Look at the last part of verse 5. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and is set on fire by hell. James could not be more dramatic and emphatic. Think of a raging fire that's set off by a spark. One word. Do you remember? When God created the world, he created the world by speaking it into existence, right? Then he made Adam and Eve in his image, and part of bearing that image was that Adam had the ability now to name, to name the animals, to speak. That's part of what makes us human. That's part of, what, part of the image of God is our ability to speak. And these words have power. And then the serpent came into the garden. And what did the serpent do? He spoke. He used words. And in those words deceived Eve. And Eve ate of the fruit and entered into a rebellion against God. And then immediately the speech of Adam and Eve was changed. Because then when God confronted them, they blamed. They blamed. Their speech was immediately corrupted. No longer just good, but now... They have the knowledge of good and evil. To this point, Adam and Eve, you have only ever heard words of goodness and truth. Satan tempts them, and now they know a world where words can be used for good, but they're going to be used for evil too. You're going to get the experience of speaking and receiving words that do terrible, awful damage. It's like hell will now be inside the human heart and will come out the mouth. You will burn each other down with your words. You will burn down your marriages. You will... You will you will injure your children, you will destroy business, You will wars will be started over words. You will have the experience of hell when you hear the kind of words that will now come out of the human heart. The tongue is a fire, it says, a world of unrighteousness. A whole ecosystem is the idea there. A whole ecosystem. You have within your mouth, you have the possibility for every species of sin, this whole world of evil. Like every single sin there is, you could find a way to say words and commit that sin. You have a whole ecosystem of evil in your own mouth. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life so you could get things totally right. You could be totally godly in many other areas of your life and then you speak something and you can ruin all of the holiness, maturity, reputation that you've developed with all the other activities, right? You all know this to be true, don't you? You've all seen this, right? You just watch the news, okay? Someone ruins, loses their job over a Facebook post. Someone loses a relationship over something. We all know this. We live in this world. We have seen this, and some of us have done this. James gives us this picture of igniting a whole forest on fire. It's set among our members, staining the bodies Setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell, burning down a life with words. So small, but so devastating, with spiritual, eternal implications. It can stain, it defiles, it ruins. I don't know, like if you've ever been to a, you ever been to a wedding? Like tens of thousands of dollars goes into this wedding and all this preparation and all this stuff. And then at the reception, someone grabs a mic and ruins the whole thing for everyone, right? That's the idea of staining the whole course of life. Like one dumb thing said, one selfish word ruins this beautiful thing that God's made, right? Words ruined the whole creation. Satan sent words into the world that then destroyed the world. And now we have that same capacity within us. And it's so easy to destroy people with words. Verse 7 and 8, Mastery is seemingly impossible. Mastery is impossible. So it's almost like he said it's, it takes perfection to master your words, right? Well, now he's coming back to that same theme. Mastery, no, mastery might actually be impossible now that I think about it. For every kind of animal, every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature has been tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. No one has been able to get this right. No one is sinless. Think if if James were talking today, he might go, we can do gene sequencing. We can invent artificial intelligence. It's possible that we could send somebody to go colonize Mars. But you still say that dumb thing when you're tired, don't you? You still post nonsense, right? You still react with sarcasm, right? We master so many things and we can't even master our own little tongue. It doesn't even have bones, right? Just tiny little instrument in our heads we can't control. It's a restless evil. It won't stop. It can't stop. It's waiting to kill and steal and destroy. And it vomits out poison like the venom of a serpent, right? Lies and deception, self-justifying pride, he says, no one can tame the tongue. No one has been able to master this. And then he closes in 9 through 12, talking about double speak being strictly judged. So he already talked about not many of you should become teachers. That's one of the applications. It's a negative application. Well, another one is like, hey, this is what I see going on, and I'm going to render a judgment on like this should not happen in the household of God. So we see a bit of a parallel, almost like a chiastic structure in some ways, that the tongue is so hard to direct for good. The tongue is so easy to destroy for evil. And let me just give you one more example. Double speak is strictly prohibited, strictly judged. Verse 9, with it, our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. We sing the worship songs. We say the prayers. The idea, I think, here is that we're in our worship gatherings. We're talking about these godly things. We're singing. We're worshiping. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. It's not devoted to just one thing. It's duplicitous. It's doublespeak. It's doing two contradictory things at the same time. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. You ought not to be teachers, (laughs) and you ought not to be a person who speaks doubly. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Like even plants get it, are about one thing, right? That's sort of the idea. Even plants can kind of pick whether they're for God or against God. But we, by our mouths, want to be on his side, but then we also want to totally blast the people that we don't like, right? It's the idea of, 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 of praising God when you're here, and then when you get to the car, you're, you're gossiping, and you're slandering, and you're critical of other people. And I, I just, it's amazing to me just how big this category is. Because he's not, he doesn't say that, and with it we curse people who are our brothers and sisters, other Christians, as if it would be okay to then talk about that way of non-Christians. But he goes, no, anyone made in the image of God, you're not allowed to curse. Unless you want to surrender your worship of God, be that one thing, just be a curser of God and of people. But no, this is, we bless and then we curse people who are made in God's image. That cannot be. That cannot be. Our words show our hypocrisy, our corruption, our duplicity. Our offense ultimately is against God. God sees right through that. Our worship and our slander are undercut, are rendered void by how we talk about people. Now, this also applies to social media. This applies to Politicians. This applies to Joe Biden. I'm not allowed to slander an image bearer. I'm not allowed to. Like in verse one, a judgment is warned and rendered. This ought not to be so. It's the impossibility. We are not whole people if we speak this double speak. People speak about God, who we love and then someone made in his image who resembles him even if imperfectly am not allowed to curse them. What this says is this he's talking about nature. An olive tree by nature produces olives, right? A person that is right with God necessarily produces godliness in their words. So it has to do with our nature. The fact that different things come out of our hearts shows that we don't have a new nature. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 12. James is just plagiarizing Jesus. Like we could go to a bunch of passages. Here's one, Matthew 12. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. It's one thing. The tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So you can just trace it right back. What words come out? What words come out? You can just trace it back. That was an evil word. That came from an evil heart. That was a good word. That came I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Let me say that again. That is Matthew 12, 36. This is Jesus. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Danny Aiken says, the tongue is directly wed to the heart. And it is the heart that motivates and manipulates the tongue, either for good or for evil, for blessing or cursing. This Jesus understood and taught very well. So we stand before this text totally condemned. Totally condemned. And James, really, in terms of application, doesn't give us any remedy. He goes, it's impossible. What I can tell you is that you should not be teachers and you should not be duplicitous in your speech. Well, James, give us a technique. Like, should we limit our words? Should we do some sort of log? Should we, like, what, what should we do? Give us a technique, James, to fix this. He you can't fix this. You can't technique your way out of this. You can't discipline yourself. You can't make up some rules for the day. The tongue is a restless evil. No one can tame the tongue. Because an olive tree can't be anything other than an olive tree what you would need, and Jesus said this, you would have to have a different nature. You would have to have a new nature. You need a new heart. You can't just grab that old dead heart and try to make it behave better. You need a new heart is what you need. You need a new tree. You need a new nature. James doesn't give us any any positive instruction in this passage, but he has said this back in chapter 1. He says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. There is a new birth that's available. There is the ability to be have your nature changed, to be born again, and that is to go to Jesus in confession. James leaves us in this surprising place, 54 imperatives in the book and nothing here. <laughs> no positive applications for us here. Because this is the only only Jesus can fix this one. Only Jesus can change the heart. There's no way to fix this. And the last thing James would want us to do is just try harder. And then because we've made a little bit of a modification, now we feel self-justified as if we're like truly godly. But deep and down, we maybe have restrained some words so that we don't do as much damage to people. But they're still in there. We still think them. We need the source changed. We need our hearts changed. So this is a deeper problem than anyone can fix. And that's what James says. No one can tame the tongue. We have to stop making excuses. And we have to own our sin. No justifying. Even online. Even on our social media. Even in election years. Christians still must be these kinds of people. And we can't do it in and of ourselves. Our words betray us. And I think just by looking at the speech of so-called Christians, we might rightly conclude that there are actually fewer Christians in the world than we think. Because their words actually show them, right? You can tell that when they're pressed, when it doesn't go their way, when there's a conflict, betrays what they really are. Three suggestions, though. While James doesn't give us a whole lot of help here other than just convict us and drive us to the cross, let me offer some humble subjection, some suggestions. First is to, I think, follow the example of Isaiah in chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah has this vision and he's a prophet. This is what he does. He traffics in words. He speaks with words. He makes his living from, from words. And he has this vision where he stands before God and even the angels can't look at God, yelling out, holy, holy, holy. And as he stands in the In the presence of a holy God, the first thing that comes to his mind is this. Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. We've all sinned with our tongue. None of us have tamed the tongue. Even the best of your prophets. That's the first thing he thinks of when he's before a holy God is, Oh, I have said some really bad stuff. I have thought some really bad things. I have sinned against a holy God and now I'm in his presence and that every careless word spoken is now staring Isaiah in the face. And he confesses. He confesses, woe is me, I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The word therefore, I am lost, means I am done. I am undone. Meaning like, my body's about to rip apart at the seams. The wrath of God this holy God is going to tear me apart because of the things that I've said that's the idea the undone like I am I am I'm I'm coming apart at the seams I deserve to be in hell I feel like I'm in hell right now in the presence of this holy God in light of the things I've said and then look at the kindness of God here then one of the seraphim verse 6 flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. What's an altar for? An altar is for sacrifice. So there is some sacrifice in heaven where taking the, the sacrifice and applying it to the place of sin in his life cleanses him, which points to Jesus. It points to Jesus. The sacrifice that Jesus makes on the cross, when that is applied to the place of sin, cleanses it. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that that he had taken with the tongues from the altar. He touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Imagine if you're Isaiah in that moment and you feel the wrath of God burning down on you, and now you hear you're forgiven. Your guilt is gone Your lips are cleansed. And then I don't have it on the screen, but the very next verse is, who will go for me? Who will speak for me? Who will now wield words for me in a positive direction in the way that I call? And Isaiah goes, I'll do it. You've changed me. I confessed my sin before you. You applied the atonement to my place of sin and then you have changed it. You have changed my heart. You have changed my mouth. And now he's a proclaimer of God's glory. So I think that's the first thing, is that in this moment to not go, I really need to get control of my words. That's true, but that's the wrong starting place. The right place is to confess before holy God going, I deserve, I deserve condemnation for the things that I've thought and said and posted. And I need you to atone for this. I can't fix this. So to confess and repent in humility. And then secondly, allow the Word of Christ to dwell in and around you richly. And that like I said, I already read this, but let me read it again, James 1:18 through26, of his own will, meaning God. He brought us forth by the word of truth. The gospel came to us in words. So words are also one of the reasons why we're condemned before God is our use of words, but God has sent another word into the world, and that word has power to change. He has brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I would think that one of the ways that we demonstrate ourselves to be first fruits is that we speak differently, right? We're a kind of first fruits. We're a kind of anticipation of the full redemption and purification that God is going to do with the world that starts in the mouths of his people that now speak way different than the rest of the world speaks. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer... He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. And when he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, the law intended to set you free from yourself, from sin, from judgment, and perseveres. Being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in, what he, in his doing. If anyone thinks his, he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, This person's religion is worthless. So if I have a faith in Christ that doesn't transform me into speaking more like Christ, I don't actually have Christ. But I can have him. He has spoken. And if I will saturate myself in him and his word, and I think that's really part of it, not just trusting in the gospel. That's the first step. That's the important thing. But then part of why we gather here is to be bathed in God's word again because we are bathed in so much evil speech throughout the week and we need to just put limits on some of that like some of us just really need to limit how much cable news <laughs> the kind of podcasts that come in like we need we need good words because what goes in the what goes in faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ if we put certain words in our ears that inevitably begins to shape our hearts And so we need God's word each day. We need God's words. We need God's people to speak God's words together. We need to sing songs. That's what it says in Colossians 3. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So there was a group of ladies that were meeting at my house yesterday morning, and they were exchanging words of life together. That's a good thing. We have a bunch of men that meet on Monday nights to read through some systematic theology and and share nourishing, life-shaping words with each other. Because what we fill our hearts and minds with, that's going to come out. And so we need... The word of Christ. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, it says that Jesus washes his bride with the water of the word. Huh. We had a group of people that were just in the theater over here at 915, working through 1 Kings 18, delighting in words together. We just cannot get enough words. We need to soak and saturate ourselves to where the word just sort of like absorbs into our hearts, our minds, our lives. And then when trials come and we're squeezed, we didn't get what we wanted, what comes out is words of life and not words of destruction. Which kind of brings us to the last point there. Direct your speech in light of your new nature and new Lord. Direct your speech in light of your new nature and your new Lord. So while we can't fix this in and of ourselves and a new technique doesn't help us, we do our call to put forth effort. There are some of us that should probably go and apologize to somebody. There's some of us that probably ought to go back through our social media feed and delete some things that really did slander an image bearer, that really maybe tempted someone else to slander an image bearer. That really was duplicitous, a real post about how much I love God and then how much I despise this person. Posts back to back, right? And people are looking at that going, "I, I... I don't know what to make of this. From the same spring comes bitter and fresh water. This can't be. And I love what it says in First Peter chapter 2. In light of our new nature and our new Lord, we're, we're to follow our Lord here. First Peter 2, 21 through 20, 23. Peter's writing also to a group of people who are under intense persecution and difficulty. And here's what Peter has to say to them. Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Now this is always interesting because now what is he going to give as the example? Is he going to give the example of being kind? Is, is, what's, what's he going to do? And he immediately goes to Jesus' speech as an example that we're to follow. Watch this. Who committed no sin, nor was, nor was deceit found in his mouth, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to God who judges righteously. Jesus, as he's going to the cross and how he handled that whole situation, is meant to be an example of what his people do when we're threatened, when we're reviled. He died not just to forgive us of our sins, but to change us and to become like him, to be restored, and to follow in his example. So, some of us need to go make some things right. Some of us do need to go and take a look at our social media. Kids, I have a job for you, because you're always hearing everything your parents say. They don't know it. The scary thing is they might know it. When When you hear your parents talking about someone you have my permission to ask your parents if they are cursing an image-bearer right now. They should not do that in front of you. They are your teacher, and they will be judged strictly for how they speak around you. Ask them, are we speaking ill of an image-bearer here? You can tell them Pastor Josh said you could do that. (laughs) Better, you can tell them James. Jesus said, that we can ask that question of each other. So I'd like us to just bow. And maybe in this moment, the Holy Spirit's doing some work on our hearts. And we need to just confess like Isaiah, going, ha, 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 woe is me. If this is true, if the tongue really is this powerful, and God really is going to judge every idle word, then I need to get some things right right now. And you go first to God and ask him, to take the atonement of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for words poorly spoken. He died on the cross to set you free from that. So confess your sins to him and ask for his cleansing that you may hear what God told Isaiah, your sin is atoned for, you are cleansed, your guilt is taken away. Do business with God in that way. And then think about how you can be surrounded by people and other influences that will saturate your heart in Christ's words and resolve to speak those kinds of words to him, to be about one thing, not blessing and cursing, but about one thing, speaking the truth in love to people. I'll give you a moment just to do whatever praying you need to do, and then I'll close us in prayer, and then we can sing one last song. Oh God, we come before you. Admitting our sin in the area of speech. Some of us have spoken what we should not have spoken. And some of us have stayed silent when we really should have said something. I pray, God, that you would convict each one of us exactly where that conviction needs to land. That if we've just been too silent not speak up about something that we would confess that that we chickened out that we were a coward that we should have said something and we didn't we left something unaddressed we left someone unencouraged and God convict us of the times when we've used sarcasm or we've manipulated or we've been false and shaded the truth in our favor or, or tried to get people on our side. We confess that it is sin, that even those who might do terrible evil in the world, but to curse an image bearer is just unacceptable on any level because of the God we serve. So Lord, I pray that you'd convict us of that as well and help us to turn first and foremost to you because our sin first and foremost has been against you. As David said in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned. And also in Psalm 51, David asks that you would cleanse his lips so that he might give testimony to the nations of your praise, of your greatness and your grace. And God, we pray that would be the same here, that you would change our hearts, change our tongues, that we might bear better witness of you in the world. We need the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus to change us. So God, I pray if there's anyone in here who doesn't know you, is feeling convicted, and wants the forgiveness, God, that they would come to him today and be saved, be changed. And if there's any of us that claim Jesus and yet live as if we don't because of our duplicitous speech, God, we pray that we would come to you as well and that you would continue to transform us into your image. We ask these things in your name. Amen.